note before we begin. This episode contains discussions of murder, sexual assault, and gender-based violence. Listener discretion is advised, especially for those under 13. If you're a regular listener of true crime content, you already know violence against women is a worldwide issue. But you might not know that the problem is particularly grim in Mexico. Tens of thousands of women are currently missing. It's estimated at least 10 women are murdered every day. Many of these crimes are classified as femicide, where women are killed because of their gender. That can mean hate crimes, sexually motivated attacks, domestic violence, basically any situation where a person's womanhood is tied to their victimization. Trans women, sex workers, and women of lower socioeconomic status are particularly at risk. In the Mexican state of Nuevo Leon, 300 women were reported missing in the first half of 2022 alone. 56 women were murdered, and 42 of those murders were classified as femicides. That's 75%. Today, I'm telling you one of their stories. It's about a young woman who marched for gender equality and fought against femicide in her country until the day others had to march for her. I'm Sarah Turney, and this is Disappearances, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Thursday, I examine a new missing person case ripped from history. I want to better understand the many reasons people disappear and the impact their absences can have on those left behind. Today, I'd like you to meet a college student who left her home in April, 2022 and never returned. Her case has become a symbol for the femicide epidemic in Mexico and across the globe. Her name is Debony Escobar. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice though, they really mean flavor. Like in your face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either, but it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice, anything but subtle. Going for your first ever run around the park. Literally running errands all over town. Running for the finish line and your personal best. If you run, you're a runner. Find the shoes and clothes to run your way at newbalance.com running. New Balance. Run your way. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. It's the spring of 2022. 18-year-old Debony Escobar lives in Monterey, Nuevo Leon, Mexico with her parents, Mario and Dolores. 
Both are teachers and Ebony is their only child. She's cheerful and charming with a mouthful of braces. She loves to sing and dance. But above all, she wants to do good for the world. It's why she studies law at the University of Nuevo Leon and why she's an activist. On March 8, 2022, International Women's Day, Debony gathers alongside thousands of other women to protest the rampant gender-based violence in Monterey. It's not her first march. According to one fellow activist, Debony attends rallies whenever possible. She is extremely dedicated to the causes close to her heart. But at the end of the day, she's also a teenager. When she's not studying or protesting, she and her friends enjoy nights on the town like most college students. On the night of Friday, April 8th, Debony dresses for a comfortable, casual night out. She tosses on a white tank top, a long, dark skirt, some high-top sneakers, and a crucifix necklace. She also wears a black face mask. She meets up with her friend Sarah E and Yvonne, Sarah E's coworker, around 11 p.m. They plan to head from Debony's family home to a house party a town over. It's not too far away, but they don't plan to drive themselves. They use a ride-sharing app instead. It's called Didi, similar to Uber in the States. According to a later interview with Sarah E on a local television program, they arrive at the house party and stay for a little under two hours. When they get bored, they call another rideshare to help them get to their next location. The driver who picks them up is 31-year-old Juan David Cuellar, who goes by David. Before getting dropped off, Debony's friends ask for David's number so they can call him for a ride later. David agrees. This way, they can skip the usual rideshare protocol and avoid wait times and extra fees. It also means they're guaranteed a driver they feel safe being around late at night. David seems like someone they can trust. Debony, Sarai, and Yvonne quickly realize the second party is actually ending when they get there. So they scramble to try to find a party that's still going. Along the way, they bounce around a few different locations. David's still at the wheel. They pick up some guys who join their group. I can't say for sure whether they're all drinking, but I'm assuming at least some of them are. It's a Friday night. They're college students, and the drinking age in Mexico is 18. Around 1.20 a.m., the three young women and their new friends arrive at a poolside event space called Quinta Diamante. When they arrive, Debony greets another group of young men who appear to be acquaintances. They spend a few more hours here. According to Sara E. and Yvonne, sometime around 3.30 a.m., they decide to call it quits. But there's some confusion about how they'll be getting back. Apparently, someone at this party offers to take Debony home. I'm not sure who, but Yvonne and Sara E. don't trust whoever this is. From what I can tell, a fight breaks out between the friends. By the end of it, Yvonne and Sara E. call their driver from earlier, David, and ask him to meet them at the party. When he arrives, just before 4 a.m., only Debony gets in the car. She steps into the passenger seat and apparently slams the door shut. After her friends leave in a different vehicle, video footage shows Debony and David sitting in his car in front of Quinta Diamante until around 4.19 a.m. before the two of them finally drive away. Then the night takes a turn. A few minutes into the drive, Debony gets out of the car. Now, Debony isn't just anywhere when this happens. She's somewhere near the Monterey Nuevo Laredo Highway, a road locals call Highway of Death. In the first half of 2021, 71 people have gone missing along it. 
men, women, and children from all different backgrounds. Locals, truckers, tourists from Texas, which borders Nuevo Laredo. It's believed many became victims of a turf war between the Northeast and Jalisco drug cartels. Debony knows the area. She knows the dangers, but she refuses to get back in the car. According to David, she can't be convinced otherwise, so he leaves her there. But before he does, he takes out his phone, snaps a photo, and sends it to Yvonne and Sarai. They receive the text around 4.30 a.m., about half an hour after they leave the party. He allegedly sends it to prove that Debony was still alive when he drove away. In the picture, Debony stands on the road in profile. Her bag is slung over her shoulder. Her hands are crossed in front of her. Beyond her are dark mountains and the night sky. She's still wearing her black face mask, so her expression is partially hidden. There are many ways to interpret her posture and attitude. Scared, brave, indignant, determined, all of the above. She's a teenager, isolated from her friends, standing in the dark. In a few short days, this photo will go viral and millions of people across Mexico and the world will ask themselves the same question. Was Debony running to or away from something? In the early hours of April 9th, 2022, Debony Escobar's friends, Yvonne and Sara E, receive a photo from their rideshare driver, Juan David Cuellar. It's of Debony. The picture shows her alone, somewhere near a dangerous highway. Yvonne and Sara E try to contact Debony's father, Mario Escobar, but they don't reach him until 8.30 a.m., over four hours after they last saw their friend. It's an unfortunate turn of events. According to Debony's mother, Dolores, she was up and waiting for her daughter to call or get home, but her husband's phone just so happened to die overnight, so they didn't get the message from Debony's friends until morning. But once they do, they leap into action. The Escobars, along with family and friends, try to retrace Debony's steps. They search all the places she was last seen. When they don't find anything, they alert authorities. Over 200 officers comb through the Nueva Castilla neighborhood using dogs and drones. Their efforts continue for days. Meanwhile, Mario and Dolores log into their daughter's Instagram account. They post that photo of their daughter and announce that she's missing. Translated from Spanish, the caption reads, quote, for people who wonder if this photo is real, yes, it's real. It was the last time Debony was seen. We have had this photo since the morning of April 9th. The photo of Debony goes viral. It appears on the front page of Mexican newspapers, along with the story of her disappearance. Soon, radio stations are asking to interview Mario about the case. He uses the media attention to express his anger and frustration. He believes his daughter should have never been left alone that night by her friends or her driver, but especially her driver. Not long after Debony's disappearance, police zero in on Juan David Cuellar and question him about that night. According to authorities, David is extremely cooperative. He sits for multiple rounds of questioning and allows the police to search his taxi for evidence. In the end, officials clear him of any wrongdoing and release him from custody. Whatever happened to Debony, they seem to believe it happened after David left her on the side of the road. Around April 17th, eight days after her disappearance, they try to track where Debony went next. 
Turns out she didn't get very far. Shortly after David left her, Debony crossed the highway. Around 4.30 a.m., security cameras caught her walking toward a transportation and trucking company about a block away. It's likely this was the first business she saw that was still open. The footage shows her walking toward the facility's entrance, presumably to ask for a ride home or to call her parents. Debony looks for an employee to help her, but doesn't seem to find anyone. After she exits the frame of the video, there's no telling where she goes next. Officials interview some of their employees, but they apparently don't learn anything useful. At some point, the police decide to investigate the Nueva Castillo Motel, which is about a block and a half away from the trucking company. It was also open early in the morning when Debony was wandering the streets. The police comb the motel four different times, hoping to find evidence that could lead to Debony, but they don't find anything on the premises. And when they ask the motel to provide security footage from the cameras, officials apparently learn they don't have any. The motel's cameras don't record anything. They just monitor the grounds in real time. By now, Mario Escobar is extremely frustrated. And it's not just because the investigation keeps hitting dead ends. He feels like authorities were too quick to dismiss a potential suspect, his daughter's rideshare driver. By mid to late April, Mario starts telling the media and anyone who will listen that the police got it wrong. He believes that not only is Juan David Cuellar responsible for Debony's disappearance, the driver tried to assault his daughter. That's why she left his car. According to Mario, authorities told them they had surveillance footage, possibly from inside the car, that shows the driver trying to grope Debony before she exited the vehicle. Now, based on Mario's statements, it doesn't seem like he's seen the footage personally. As far as I can tell, it hasn't been released publicly. In fact, the closest I can get to confirming it exists is an article from the British tabloid, The Independent. They cite a Mexican reporter who claims to have access to pictures of the alleged assault. If true, this could explain why Mario believes that Debony chose to leave the car and why David left her on the side of the highway. But it's important to remember, authorities have cleared Juan David Cuellar. If there were evidence that he sexually assaulted Debony, I don't know why they would ignore it. And it's hard to even speculate. We just don't know enough. But on Thursday, April 21st, authorities get a call from the Nueva Castilla Motel, the place they searched earlier, the one with the cameras that don't record anything. Some employees have noticed a smell coming from the pool area, and the pool hasn't been used for six years. Investigators find the smell is coming from three water tanks nearby. They peer down into one of them and find the body of a young woman. Decomposition has obscured her features, but there's little question as to who it is. There's a crucifix strung around the woman's neck, and she's wearing high-top sneakers. Plus, police find a purse, keys, and phone scattered about the other water tanks. DNA tests later confirm what the evidence suggested. It's Devony. For the Escobars, the news is obviously heartbreaking, but it's quickly followed by another shock. As reported in Mexico Daily News, authorities announced that they believe Devony's death was an accident, that she somehow fell into the water tank and drowned but their theory is quickly called into question. Over the weekend, information from Debony's autopsy report leaks. According to this report, 
The cause of death was traumatic brain injury from a blow to her head. It's speculated that the injury may have been caused by her hitting her head as she fell into the water tank, but that doesn't explain how and why her keys, phone, and purse were found in the other tanks. Moreover, the leaked report says no water was found in Debony's throat or lungs, meaning she was almost certainly dead before she entered the tank. Soon, Vice and other international news outlets point out the discrepancies between authorities' initial claims and the autopsy report. Hundreds of women gather in Mexico City to march in Debony's name. They carry signs. One reads, Mexico is a mass grave. Debony's death galvanizes a movement that she once fought for herself. The protests and media attention force authorities to reconsider their stance. Law enforcement reclassifies her death as a homicide and send the case to the Specialized Femicide Prosecutor's Office for review. The authorities in Nuevo Leon finally seem willing to treat Debony's death with the respect and urgency it deserves. But to Mario Escobar, it's too little too late. At his daughter's funeral in late April, he speaks to a packed crowd of friends, family, and activists, saying, quote, I will not stop until justice is done. A speech by the Mexican president, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, only fuels the flames of anger more. He sends condolences to the Escobars, but tells his country that they basically have nothing to worry about. These things happen everywhere. In an article, Al Jazeera describes how many are criticizing the remarks. I imagine that for many, the remarks could feel like an ugly dismissal brushing off Debony's tragic end and the femicide epidemic with a simple shrug. When the people in power, whose job it is to serve and protect, don't seem to care, who do you turn to? Mario Escobar tells one reporter, quote, "'My daughter is dead, and I don't know what to do. I'm angry at myself for trusting the authorities. I made a mistake.'" And sometime around April 27th, those feelings are validated. Investigators reveal some shocking news. Remember those motel cameras that supposedly didn't record any footage? Well, turns out that wasn't true. They did. And they caught Debony's last known movements. Around April 27, 2022, weeks after Debony Escobar's disappearance, video clips surfaced from the night she went missing. The footage comes from security cameras at the Nueva Castilla Motel. At 4.35 a.m., minutes after she was seen at the entrance of a trucking company nearby, another camera catches Debony running past the front of the motel's restaurant toward the front of the motel and its driveway. Seconds later, a camera situated near the front entrance captures her running in the shadows along the side of the restaurant, away from the reception area. A minute later, she's at the back entrance of the motel's restaurant, where the pool is. Somehow, Debony was able to easily access the area, despite the fact that it has reportedly been abandoned for years. Footage then shows her running out of frame toward a dead-end corner of the courtyard, after this, 20 minutes pass with no sign of her. Finally, at 4.56 a.m., cameras catch Debony returning and walking toward the pool near the water tanks. Now, none of this disproves the authorities' theory that she fell and accidentally drowned. 
and there are a few things that are worth pointing out. First, according to a lot of reporting on this case, there's only one entrance to the motel and it leads to the lobby, which is open 24 seven. And the pool area and the rest of the property are apparently separated by a high wall. Reporters have speculated that the only other way she could have accessed the water tanks would have been if she went through the restaurant, which again has been closed for years. So theoretically, someone should have seen Debony that night. It would have been hard to miss a frantic teenage girl, especially one who either broke into a locked establishment or walked through the main lobby and hopped a wall. However, when I watch the tapes, you can't see the front lobby, just a driveway with a roof and some type of service window. And based on the timestamps in the video, assuming none of them have been doctored, I can't think of a way Debony could have accessed the pool area so quickly if there wasn't an unlocked door somewhere even if the motel's restaurant was technically closed. Not to mention, Debony appears to stay outside in the shadows the whole time. So it's actually plausible to me that no one at the motel saw her that night. At the end of the day, regardless of what reported details are true, I can confirm that no employees or guests have gone on record saying that they saw her there that night. And this has left the Escobars with even more questions. And not just about their daughter, but the entire system that's supposed to be helping them. Did the motel lie about their cameras? Did they hide the footage in order to protect an employee or guest or to stay out of a messy situation? Or did the police have the footage all along? And what could have possibly happened in those missing 20 minutes? Running out of patience and trust, Mario and Dolores forego official avenues and request an independent autopsy to find out how their daughter really died. The results are revealed in early May and they're devastating. The coroner the family commissioned agrees that Debony died from a blow to the head, but notes several other injuries to her head and face, likely from a blunt object. According to these results, there are also signs that Debony was sexually assaulted before she died. The independent autopsy also indicates she didn't drown in the water tank. She was already dead when she was placed there. It's clear that Debony's death was a femicide and with the latest autopsy and the attention it generates, the Escobars hope to garner more public support for their daughter's case. But they quickly realize the tide is turning and not in the direction they hoped. See, ever since her disappearance, Debony has been portrayed as this sort of perfect victim, an educated feminist, a beloved daughter, a respectable young woman who found herself stranded on the highway of death, whose packed funeral was a testament to how precious she was. But eventually, the media's thirst for more details to keep interest in this story alive causes a sharp shift in the narrative. In a TV interview, Juan David Cuellar says he wanted to help Debony, but she was acting off like she was drunk. Debony's friends, Sarai and Devon echo his sentiment. Their statements kick off a snowball effect where it's hard to tell fact from rumor. People whisper that she was using drugs, a video surfaces from the night of her disappearance, which seems to show Debony buying a bottle of vodka at a convenience store. Despite the fact that it would have been perfectly legal and not out of the ordinary, the implication is clear. Debony did this to herself. She should have known better. And as her mother Dolores says, unfortunately, Debony's not here to defend herself. 
Claudia Muniz works for Fundanel, a nonprofit for the families of missing people. She's called the media's portrayal of Debony a shame campaign and has accused the government of orchestrating it. She says, quote, they want to make us think women go missing because they were high or drunk. And she isn't wrong. When asked about women disappearing and femicide, Nuevo Leon state prosecutor Gustavo Guerrero quite literally blamed a lack of communication, family disputes, and the so-called rebellion of young people. Of course, many might say it's easier for officials to point fingers at an 18-year-old than to hold themselves accountable for ending a centuries-long epidemic of violence against women. It should go without saying that the person responsible for a sexual assault and murder is the person who assaulted and murdered, not the teenager trying to enjoy a Friday night with her friends. And yet, here we are. Women all over the world still live in fear, still have to think ahead, walk in packs, carry mace, have keys clutched between our knuckles, because we know that all too often, we bear the burden of our own protection, while the men who have the power to make change blame anything but their own actions. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter if Debony was drinking. It doesn't matter if she was alone. What happened to her should have never happened. It's not her fault. The good news is, as of May 2022, Debony's death is officially being investigated as a femicide. Her family continues to fight for more information about how she died. This past June, they requested a third autopsy in conjunction with the Mexican federal government. It was supposed to eliminate the inconsistencies between the first and the second. But when the results came out in July, they only added to the confusion. According to this third autopsy performed by Dr. Philippe Takahashi, head of Mexico City's forensic service, Debony didn't die from blows to her head. She died from asphyxiation. He also claimed she wasn't sexually assaulted. Stranger still, she might've died just three to five days before she was found, meaning she would've been alive when authorities first searched the motel. Now, this latest autopsy has been considered the definitive report. So as far as Mexico's federal government is concerned, Debony was not sexually assaulted. She died of asphyxiation and she might've been kidnapped prior to being murdered. In some ways, the circumstances of her death are clearer than they've ever been, but the quest to catch her killer is still ongoing. In September, 2022, authorities questioned motel staff and confiscated cell phones, cameras, USB sticks, and laptops to see if any evidence had been hidden. If anything came from those efforts, nothing has been made public yet. But as her story continues to circulate the globe, I have hope we'll see a breakthrough in this case. Justice for Debony. And maybe even for other victims too. Debony's case has done a lot to shine a light on femicide in Mexico. As I said earlier, women with lower socioeconomic status are disproportionately affected, which has meant that for a long time, victims and their families haven't had the resources to advocate for themselves. But according to sociologist Christian Asensio, the international attention Debony's murder has received is helping to change that. 
more people with more resources are becoming aware and taking action. Systems are changing as well. Nueva Leon's attorney general has fired two prosecutors for mishandling elements of Debony's case. Governor Samuel Garcia has created a task force to search for missing women in the state. And the Mexican Congress is debating a law that would make leaking information about a victim, say autopsies or videos that could be used against them, a crime. If these changes were implemented before Debony disappeared, maybe she wouldn't have gone missing. Maybe she'd still be around to become a lawyer, to march in protests, to fight against femicide, to honor and uplift women. Debony can't do that anymore, but we can do it for her. Thank you for listening. In the time it took you to finish this episode, 30 people disappeared in the United States alone. And as of this recording, the number of missing persons in Mexico has reached an all-time high. If you or someone you know needs assistance with a missing persons case, please visit seasonofjustice.org. Season of Justice is a nonprofit organization that provides funding to law enforcement agencies and families to help solve cold cases. For full disclosure, I am a member of the board. It's a great resource for both law enforcement and families in order to bring closure to those impacted by unsolved violent crime. You can find all episodes of Disappearances and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. Disappearances is a Spotify original from ParCast, executive produced by Max Cutler. Our head of programming is Julian Boireau. Our supervising sound designer is Russell Nash, with Nick Johnson as our head of production, and quality control by Spencer Howard. Allie Wicker is our supervising editor, and Derek Jennings is our writing lead. This episode of Disappearances was written by Amin Osman, edited by Karis Allen and Connor Sampson, fact-checked by Cheyenne Lopez, research by Mickey Taylor, translations by Ana Paula Shelley Diaz, Produced by Aaron Larson, with sound design by Alex Button. I'm your host, Sarah Turney. To hear more stories hosted by me, check out my other podcast, Voices for Justice. 